It's a brand new day. A new world order, a brand new day. It's a new a day. Change of mind, a human race. We just marched a million plus the other day. Look, look, we all witnessed the sweat rolling down Miss Liberty's head. She knows the sleeping giant is no longer sleeping dead. Oh, what a fulfillment of prophecy. Let us teach the children freedom's never been free. It's okay to cry. Go ahead and cry. Jesus went, but hope and faith be kept. It's a new day. Alright, y'all, what is going on? This is your man L Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. And today we have a lot to get into, so we're just gonna get right into it with the word on the street segment. And uh, I wanted to give my well, let's get through some facts first, and then I want to give my uh, I guess my interpretations on the recent uh, Supreme Court rulings on were Roe versus Wade. Now, all right, so the Roe versus Wade ruling was originally passed in 1973, and the Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution protects the women's liberty of a choice to abortion. This will strike down many federal and straight state laws that were, of course, contrary. And uh, the case was brought by the legal team of Norma McCorvey of Texas, who at the time was pregnant with her third child and wanted an abortion. Uh, but it was illegal where she was at, except for life-saving uh, purposes. Although uh, that is something that hasn't uh, been determined whether or not uh, there was any type of exemptions uh, in some of these cases or some of these states. But I wanted to get a little bit into the background of the case and also the background of the the leading woman involved, uh, that being uh, Mrs. McCorvey here. Now, she has an interesting story, to say the least. Uh, she was born in Simmonsport, Louisiana, back in 1947, and would move in Houston before her parents were split uh, when she was 13 years old. She was raised by her mother, uh, who was an abusive alcoholic, along with her older brother. She would, be, uh, well, she would find trouble with the law at an early age and would be declared a ward of the state and would, be go on, uh, would go on to be sent to a Catholic boarding school as well as an all-girls state school before returning school before returning home and uh, experiencing even more sexual abuse that uh, unfortunately like with many young girls and men uh, goes unchecked because it's un you know unbelieved and uh, she would go on to be uh, married at 16 and have her first child in 1965 after which she would develop a drug and drinking habit and uh, she would eventually come out as lesbian now there was some, well, at least that's what she claims. Uh, uh, there were some issues that um, would arise with her, you know, giving up her first child for adoption. Now, she uh, she claims that she was tricked into, to, into signing some type of insurance papers. Her mom claims that none of that happened. She willingly gave up her child for adoption. 
long story short, uh, she would become pregnant the next year with another daughter and she would name her Jennifer, but she would also give up that child for adoption as well. So you kind of see a pattern here. Now she would become pregnant with her third child in 1969 at the age of 21. Now this is some cold shit right here. And I got, I want you guys to kind of, um, to pay attention to this. Definitely. She was encouraged by her friends, and this is on her own accounts, to claim that she was raped by a group of black men. Let that seep in. The lady behind the whole Roe versus Wade shit was trying to just make up some shit about some niggas or some brothers. She was told by her friends to claim that she was raped by a group of black men because according to them there was some type of rape exemption that would have allowed her to get a legal abortion wow so you know you already kind of see the mindset of you know not I don't want to just say all women of course but some of these women that are of course surrounding this you know in particular this young lady here and of course, there was no rape exemption for her, even if there would would have been one, because there was no evidence or, of course, any documentation. Like I stress, stress vehemently, get you some documentation. Go immediately to authorities. I know it's hard, or you scared, or whatever, but you gotta let it be known. Uh, you know, not to say that this, in this case, she was telling the truth, but it, especially if it happened, it, you gotta. Do, let somebody I would imagine but again this was a lie this all ended up being not true anyways but this is just the example of some of the low levels some individuals just might go to it's just a reflection of that as well to think about that um, as much as I want to stress you know hey you know going to the authorities and making sure you have the proper documentation or evidence that needs to be had but you know don't go making shit up about motherfuckers either that ain't right so you know be careful uh, now, she would still have to give birth, and she would also place that kid up for adoption as well, I believe, another daughter. So, three children all given up for adoption. She wanted to get the third one aborted. Uh, part of her feelings behind that was because she was in this deep depression and that she really couldn't afford a child. Hmm. Okay. Now, you know what a lot of people are going to tell her. Well, why would you have kids? Why are you having unprotected sex? Who knows what leads to all that? Of course, there's a history of sexual assault in her life. So, again, it's very difficult to judge. I don't want to be the one to judge, but uh, I've been through shit and I've, you know, had my experiences. But you got to learn to make a better decision, as, particularly as you get older and you learn what's right and what's wrong. But, again... I'm not going to judge too harshly. I'm not going to get into all my my true uh, interpretations just yet until we get all the uh, backstory and these facts out. At least how I, you know, at least, you know, what I know. Now, uh, of course, this would lead, the lack of being able to get an abortion would lead to McCory find, filing a lawsuit against the local district attorney at the time, Henry Wade, hence Roe versus Wade. Now, the Supreme Court uh, would eventually rule that the due process uh, clause in the 14th Amendment protects a woman's right to privacy, although I don't know what the right to privacy has to do with actually having to hurt. Well, I don't know what the right to privacy necessarily has to do with getting them an abortion, but apparently the right to privacy 
goes hand in hand. Well, went hand in hand at that moment. I personally don't know, um, don't know the correlation because again, it's an action. Now again, privacy is about who knows and what's known. I get that, but we're talking about the legality of something. I don't know privacy and the legality of something. I don't know. Doesn't necessarily go hand in hand, but apparently at this point in time, originally it did. Now. Like I said, they would go on to say that it was protected by this clause, due process clause, uh, but they would also rule that being the Supreme Court, that the right to abortion is not absolute and must be balanced against the government's interest in protecting women's health and prenatal life. Now, this is where I'm, I would have to say um, this might sound crazy for some, uh, but again, I think this is a infringement upon individual rights. Again, we have red pill, blue pill. I'm pretty sure y'all like to have those discussions and, and, and to get into that, especially the red pill people now. They love to divulge how they're against this matrix. But in reality, all you are d doing is succumbing to this to a different form of the same matrix. So again, you're not breaking free. You're being, con you're being told a controlled truth and you're being revealed. Uh, things are being revealed to you as as uh, the powers that be want them to be revealed and how they want them to be revealed. So none of this stuff I would, you know, again, when you hear these, these, uh, these, uh, these, you know, deeper level conspiracy issues on this topic per se, I would hold that with a grain of salt, a lot of them. Uh, in reality, this was a random woman who had this random issue and wanted, you know, wanted to get an abortion that wasn't uh, that wasn't feasible for her. That didn't happen. But a group of other people decided to come around on both sides and and put their you know stamp on the situation. Uh, government, both sides of government, all that conservative, liberal, all that different organizations. We'll talk about uh, more about her in just a second. Second, uh, but just as 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 you know, just my personal how I personally feel, I feel like we are at a very uh, at a very weird crossroads because we are allowing people to uphold their Second Amendment and hold firearms. We're telling people, uh, certain groups of people, that you can't do you can't do something to your own bodies. Now, the government has their concerns, and I believe that they're legitimate concerns. But uh, you know, again. You know that doesn't stop them from making smoking illegal. They, they 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 don't make smoking illegal, and that's dangerous. That kills people. Uh, you know they don't make uh, certain uh, drugs. You know now certain drugs, mind you, yes, but other drugs like over the counter or you know whatever they're selling in these pharmacies, those aren't illegal, and those are just as deadly as anything else you can find on the street. They won't tell you that. So. Um, you know, I, 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 I find it very, very, you know, disruptive and very counterintuitive to say, oh, we're we're about individuals rights and we don't want to as the state, meaning the government, uh, you know, to be involved with that. Uh, to to have it well well you want well you want to have a say in this you know you want to have a say in this but you want to you want to hold out on other topics like you know gun control well, well we don't want to control guns but let's control abortions I, I don't I don't fuck with that that's backwards to me if you're gonna control one control all of it or you back the fuck up and let uh, like you claim you've been wanting to do let the states and local governments handle it and then you go from there. But you know, again, this half, this 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 halfway foot in, this 
you know, foot out. Again, I now I see why a lot of uh, the contrarians to this uh, were talking about how this could be eventually overturned and, and how this terminology could be used because is that what they're saying is it's protected, but it's not it's not absolute, but and it also must come into what we agree with as the government, meaning the Supreme Court. And of course, the Supreme Court is a bunch of dudes and and three women, but one of them was hired by Trump, so she has conservative views. So it's like a bunch of conservatives and one or two liberals. One uh the the one of the one of the last liberal ones, uh, of course he got well actually he got replaced by the first black woman. So he was hired by um or inducted uh by Clinton. He was replaced by this uh recent inductee by Biden. Uh but again, they're outnumbered. There's no really there's no women on this panel anyways and if I'm being real here, you know, if they really wanted to protect women's interests, where is their, uh, you know, their contact or their correspondence with actual women? Um, recently, I went to the California Museum in Oakland, and uh, it was really, uh, really eye-opening experience. I was able to check out, of course, it's uh, state history, and it's different sections about state history and what happened in California. And, I happened to go across the part, uh, you know, where they were talking about Northern California history, particularly there's a Black Panther section. And I got a chance to look at the, 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 the manifesto for the first time in a while and had it face to face, like look at it. And one of their uh, claims or one of their the, the issues that they were looking for was equal representation, meaning, you know, we want a member or members of our peers or when somebody commits a crime and they're on trial, we want them to be on trial with members of the, their immediate community, their peers. And I think that's and when I thought about that and I listened and I felt that message, I said, well, that concept should be brought here with women. We need to be conversing with them. Uh, you and I, as guys or, you know, uh, conservative, whatever, you know, we can have our opinions about this, but we need to also be making sure we're asking, you know, our friends, our sisters, our aunties, our mothers, and, you know, anybody who's affiliated, even your girlfriend, your wife, how she might feel about it. It's not just about, see, the problem with this, you know, with this whole thing is you have this situation where men need to be in control and they want to be able to tell everybody what to do and that's that's an issue as well like they it's not about dominating everybody it's about cooperation and making sure everybody has an equal footing or an equal say you might not get everything you need but again your concerns are being heard you know and and it there are times in which you know abortion may be necessary if it's at the if it's at the detriment to the woman's health you might need to step in if it's a case of rape and incest yes i think you do you do allow that uh, nobody wa nobody wants an incest baby let's be real nobody wants an incest baby incest babies have problems they're inbred you don't want that shit you don't want that don't let this don't let the liberal media tell you how to think of fear remember Chappelle showed you that same thing for the conservative media don't let the conservative media tell you how to think and feel oh they can't choose what to do with their bodies why not you get to choose whether or not to have a gun they don't even want motherfuckers to get background checks to have a gun but they're gonna tell a woman you can't you you can't you can't raise a baby you're not really able to you know work it out physically financially but we're gonna make you do it anyway get the fuck out of here that's a joke to me 
And it leads to the speculation on what could happen next. What about same-sex marriage? What about, uh, you know, interracial marriages? What about, you know, uh, legal segregation? Plessy versus, uh, versus Ferguson? Who knows? Now, again, this is how it all starts. So it's 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 not as though I'm I'm you know because I, I feel like I'm this I'm pro what's best for that individual woman situation. I do feel that there is a trend of women, obviously, with this woman as well, you know, of being, you know, just not responsible. And you're having multiple children. You're knowing you're not capable of raising these 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 children. So you're looking for ways to you know remedy that. Abortion is is one of them. And we'll look at some of the demographics behind abortion as well in just a little bit. But you know, and and just kind of back to you know the craziness of Nick Corby's story. Like she ended up becoming a anti-abortionist at one time. But of course, she was being paid for this. Uh, she was get she paid she got paid up to almost five hundred thousand dollars for anti from anti-abortion groups to kind of state her case against abortion, and so there's there's this whole thing though where people are kind of like iffy about it, you know how she really was because you have her Catholic priest talking about yeah she did reform she did this certain people are like that, but again she also lived a double life she was still a lesbian after she was supposed to have converted to Catholicism I I don't know. This is the quote coming from her mouth, okay? If she if there was no quotes from her that you could really latch on to and you were pretty much going on people's perspectives because she really didn't leave, you know, anything behind in that realm, then, hey, you know, fine, I could see that. But this is coming straight from her mouth uh, right before she passed away. This was from the AKA Jane Roe documentary. She said, if a young woman wants to have an abortion, that's no skin off my ass. That's why they call it choice. Okay, let's repeat that. If a young woman wants to have an abortion, that's no skin off my ass. That's why they call it choice. So, you know, I think, you know, the sentiment behind it, and even if she was against it, I think it would be from a perspective of she kind of saw where she, you know, might have, you know, I don't want to say just, let's just say what it was, like kind of like what it was. I don't want to say, I don't want to, be too damaging or too fucked up with the words I say. Well, let's just say she was a fuck up, you know, in terms of just not, you know, she it's obvious she necessarily didn't have proper employment because we couldn't afford to raise the kids. She was constantly depressed, so she wasn't living to a certain standard on her own. And you know, we could we can really just say, you know, a lot. We could we could attain a lot of that. We could attest a lot of that to her upbringing and just what she had to endure. You know, uh, you know, she was sexually assaulted as a young woman that might have made sex something, you know, to, you know, easy going for her or something that she, you know, felt just comfortable giving away and not necessarily worrying about the consequences. And I don't want to make children sound like a consequence, but let's say a result. That's a result of unprotected sex. But but, but again, before we get into in uh, conjecture, let's get into some more, a little bit more facts on just the view of abortion as time has, has gone on just in this country. Now, in general, the argument has been had as far back as uh, ni the 19th century in America. Now, uh, it wasn't even necessarily considered illegal in most cases uh, until it was a, it was the, t the process of quickening. And quickening would be the would at least be four to six months in the presence of pregnancy, and this would be at the point in which you would feel the fetus actually moving 
Now, in Connecticut, they would pass the first laws referring to any type of abortion, and this would be banning the use of poison in the process. So, as you can tell, it looks like they were generally okay with it in most cases up until a certain point. Uh, that I also don't have a problem with. I feel like that kind of, you know, hits it on the head as well. Uh, again, you have pro-lifers saying as soon as, you know, conception happens and all this, you know, it's, I don't want to get into those arguments you know, again, I th I think you want to be able to allow things while not while not allowing them to be taken advantage of. You see what I'm saying? You know, you don't want things to be rampant. And I understand why there's some type of legislation or was any type of legislation referring to it in the first place. Now, in terms of actual restrictions uh, and or bannings, uh, those will begin in 1868. And a lot of this had to do with men versus women competing in the medical field more than anything else and who was licensed and who was becoming licensed and the fact that abortions were becoming a specialized procedure. So again, a lot of that going on too. Eventually, you would have a situation where in 1883, 30 or 37 states and 6 out of 10 territories would restrict abortion. Now, reasons behind a lot of this would include, uh, you know, preserving the fetus, uh, you know, also protecting the life of the mother and also the ability for her to have children. As far as the fetuses are concerned, if they really cared about pro-life, you know, they would have better living situations for people. You wouldn't see such high poverty rates. You see a higher living standard in America. They, you know, you would pretty much see, uh, well, children wouldn't have to pay for public school lunches, things of that nature. Uh, public, our public, uh, sorry, our public education system would be one of the best in the world, but it's sadly not. So they really don't give a fuck about pro-life. It's more about telling somebody what to do. And when we get into these demographics, uh, somewhat to do about racial, uh, you know, numbers as well. Now let's get into these demographics. Like I said, 56.9% uh, of women in their 20s have had an abortion. So it's generally younger women in their 20s. There's, uh, I believe, about 20% or two out of three women uh, that are actually college age are having these. So, again, you're not having a whole lot of underage things going on, although there's underage sex, of course, but I guess not like it you know, might have used, might have used to been, uh, but a lot of cases, uh, women are becoming, uh, you know, they're getting involved with public secondary education and unfortunately, well, I don't want to want to say the word unfortunately, cause it's just a part of life. Uh, but they, you know, become pregnant and they are in the process of getting some type of degree and, and moving forward financially. You know, a lot of these women aren't, you know, dependent on men right now. And that's not that's neither good or bad. That's not for us to say. Uh, that's what they're. That's how they perceive life to be. So they are choosing to say, "Look, I got to focus on this. If, they ha if I'm lucky enough to get married and have a child later, then I'll do that." Um, in terms of race, uh, the highest percentages of women getting abortions are white at 33.4 percent and black at 38.4 percent. And uh, when you come, when you hear a lot of arguments against pro, or, or when you hear a lot of arguments against abortion uh, coming from black and white pockets, it's definitely population driven. Uh, for example, with white folks recently just had at a Trump rally, uh, them thanking the Supreme Court for a victory for the right race. You can go ahead and, and judge and take that how you feel. That's what the fuck they said. Uh, they are glad this is a victory for them because it, it you know, it, it keeps them at, it keeps them, uh, 
Well, it, it allows them to give more births. And for black people, the argument here was, you know, it's about eliminating non-whites, you know, again, for power struggle and numbers and voting and, and same type of situations. Although, of course, we know blacks are far more of a minority. But again, with 38.4% of women committing uh, abortions, hey, you know, that, damn, that does kind of say that sucks. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, to me, that, that damn. Um, in 2019, 41.8% of women who've had an abortion had already had one. And this is coming from the CDD. All these stats here are coming from the CDC. And here's an interesting stat here for all my religious freaks. And for those of you who claim to be religious, 30% of women are Protestant, a.k.a. Christian, who have had these abortions. So, again, all walks of life, although we do know that black and white women are getting the most, uh, you know, it seems to be younger women, college age women, you know, women who are in pursuit of certain things. And uh, it's understandable um, in that regard. Again, uh, I, at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, a woman should have some rights. She does, you know, just like black people, just like. LGBT now do they get to do everything and you know uh, hope you know it, it again we want to make sure you get the the basics and not you know I get the government should be making sure everybody is protected under the actual laws all that extra shit that you have to add mm, but any everything everybody should be generally protected under the Constitution I don't think there's anything that says people should well there's it shouldn't be anything that says people should be restricted based on all these different things but you know i do believe that there needs to be some type of responsibility my best thing the best advice that i would give uh, to young adults period who are sexually active or you know could become pregnant or you know whatever get a girl pregnant i would say don't have unprotected sex i know it sounds oh man dude what the fuck are you talking about or, and just or just be more responsible. I know it sounds square, or whatever. You know, people tell you, well, you know, if I tell a girl to keep her legs closed or hey, be careful about who you fucking with, they'll tell you, oh, you a square, you don't get none. No, I just, I just understand. You know, because a lot of guys ain't looking, aren't, aren't, aren't of any value, and a lot of women aren't of any value to really develop those type of bonds with or bring a life into the world with. We've seen a chick mad because, you know, he, the guy brought his son something to eat but wouldn't get the rest of the baby. So we've seen that bullshit. You know what I'm saying? So as much as y'all want to defend or take that away from people, take things away, we got to look at things for what they are, too. You know, we have a lot of people abusing those freedoms. But, you know, we have a lot of men who abuse their rights that they have. Look at this this mass shooter that we got. We'll talk about him in a second. So, you know, it's... I, I feel like, you know, it's wrong for the U.S. government to take away rights or restrict access to rights for others, but not have the same restrictions to certain things as well. If they're going to restrict certain things, restrict all of it. Um, don't don't pick. I think it's, it's bullshit to pick and choose. I think it creates this type of a division uh, where you have that. And who knows what could happen next? You know, we could see Jim Crow within the next 30, 40, 50 years. Who knows? Um, you know, it's a very, it's a very sad sight to see. I wish they would come to more of a uh, common understanding over this. So it doesn't look as though that people have to have something taken away from them. But 
you know, for right now, it is what it is. Uh, if I were you, get fellas, wrap up, ladies. I'm either well, some places you can't get Plan B. So I'm not. Uh, again, if I know he ain't shit, he he, I wouldn't let him fuck you. I'm just gonna tell you like that. If you know he ain't shit, he shouldn't be fucking you without a rubber. So let's move on. Uh, we have one more thing, uh, segment to talk about, of course. Well, one more topic to discuss in this segment here. Uh, of course, we have the Fourth of July shooting, Highland Park, Illinois, and uh, you know, pretty much as simple as all the rest of them go. A gunman perched on a rooftop and opens fire on a crowd of people at a Fourth uh, of July parade. Thousands of people, or hundreds of people. And this was around 10, 15 p.m., of course, uh, that local time. And uh, he would end up killing six people and wounding 30 others. Of course, uh, assault rifle is, you know, was in use, or I guess an uh, automatic rifle was in use. You know, we had that. Uh, of course, everybody and their mama wants to claim Manchurian candidate for Democrats. Da, 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 da. You know, okay, we'll blame him for wanting to be used that way. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, you you kind of find your way into that through choice. I know they kind of they kind of pick and weed them out sometimes, but you kind of already gotta be gotta be in that you know crowd for them to even be looking at you to even use you. So blame him still for trying to fuck up all everybody else's shit. Uh, still, you know, y'all still trying to let these people, you know, be cool and get off the hook. And particularly if it's a white dude, I don't hear all this shit when it's a black dude doing this, a Mexican dude doing some crime or Asian. It's always, well, they just, they're crazy killers. But the minute it's a white dude, oh, it's a Manchurian candidate. They're trying to pass guns. They're trying to pass liberal gun laws and take away your guns. But it's never a blame for the guy that did it. Robert E. Cremo is your shooter. He's the killer. Lock him up. Up, put him in jail. I hope he don't drop the soap. Uh, all that, you know, it, it, it is what it is. There's no, there's no excuses here. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Uh, these motherfuckers get guns. They already have these. Um, they're on the fringe anyway. And, and it's funny because you know, like, the, like the, the, like, it's like uh, when we look at, you know, McCovery or I, I guess you call it a, a Roe, you know, Jane Roe, you know, she's like a on the fringe person, been through all this shit, you know, on the other side of the tracks and she gets used by get what they, what they would want to describe as the liberal, you know, paradigm to push all this, you know, these agendas and uh, same thing here, but it's, it's always some random off kilter white person to begin with. You know, it's always some excuse, you know, it can't just be, you know, this guy, you know, he has mental issues and he shouldn't have had a gun. You know, and that's all that a majority of of these uh, these laws that people want to bring up are a background checks. Now, the one in New York about the social media is I think that's a little bit too. Well, is it a little bit too far? Because let's be real here. If you're on your if you're on your Instagram posting with guns and you just shooting bang, bang. And, and let's be real here. There's a difference between the real gun owner. Now, when I say the real gun owners, the motherfuckers who do it right. You know, they, they either hunt or they just are gun enthusiasts. You know, they might be pro-NRA or not. But there's a difference between the real motherfucking gun owners and the motherfuckers who just shoot motherfuckers, okay? The people who are gun owners, you know, they might post with their guns sometimes. But it's, you know, it's always in some confinement. It's, some, it's always in some type of situation where they're showing you how to use their gun. They got the little, you know, the ear protectors on they showing you they stay in a little shooting course or they hunt some animals so you in that context 
you got a lot of motherfuckers who got guns and just posting with them shoot bang bang or shoot and then shoot somebody. That's where it's gonna come down to. That's what they looking at. Y'all know y'all know people do that dumb shit online. So again, and they already been looking at people's, you know, Instagrams and, you know, social media profiles for a long time. So don't don't get it. Don't get all in your feelings about it. It's a little bit weird. I know it sounds weird, but in reality all they do all they doing is stating to you what they've already been doing. They just telling you we we just gonna do it, and we're just gonna let you know now. We just notifying you that we doing it. But you know, uh, lock the motherfuckers up who need to be locked up. Lock up the don't lock up the motherfuckers who don't. Of course, it makes sense. I mean, that's what they've been doing. Um, there there a lot of these restrictions, aka these restrictions that people are saying, are you know ultimately come down to registration background checks they for some reason they don't want to have a background lit motherfucker if you have a record then you sorry you just shot somebody but maybe you don't need a gun you again i mentioned this before you lost the privilege shit maybe like same thing with like a board maybe they have the like a law with abortions but if you already had one maybe you don't get another one <laughs> you know what i'm saying maybe you do shit like that you know because again i'm sorry like you know certain motherfuckers just don't need to be given certain you know access to shit just to keep it real. Murder rates are high everywhere throughout the country. To say that we don't need to do something about guns is, is stupid. To say that, oh, okay. And then we can, I mean, again, we can we can lock the people up too. Okay, of course, we can lock folks up. We always we always doing that. Look at the prisons. Full of black folks. So don't tell me we need to lock everybody. We need to lock folks up. We've been doing that. That's, that's trivial. <laughs> Fuck out of here with all that. People don't want to be accountable, you know. Um. That's the story of the, that's the that's the lesson of today's segment. You know, men, uh, women need to be somewhat more accountable with how they are using their bodies and what resources they are using to uh, take care of themselves. Uh, you know, and and men need to be more responsible with the power that they have as leaders in the society to not be so restrictive and to be more allowing of other people's uh, perspectives. Okay. Uh, this is not a man-driven society. There's no there's no metric uh, outside of moral or, or what people perceive to be moral uh, guidance uh, that they think that they're getting that's more superior from a male-generated society. That's all hyperbole. Uh, again, the Bible, that might be written within the Bible, but that's not spiritual. That is religious, and men wrote it. So, you know, that's not even the word of God. That is the word that people, that is the word that people are writing and claiming that God will go along with. Who knows what the hell he will go along with, because he doesn't necessarily speak to you in that way again these 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 uh lifestyles and the way people have been doing things have been existing for a long point in time so this again the the conspiracy theory of they're trying to push it on you now is bullshit what, what's going on now is it's just that the corporations and people who feel like they can control and 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 have a and have a stake to play in all this they're the ones manipulating all this people are going to come up naturally how they are you're going to have to live with it you're going to have to rock with it otherwise you just stay in your little class and your little lane and you do what you do if you that if you're that focused on who you are in your community, then you focus on that community. You don't need to you don't need to care who's claiming what, who's claiming to be what. I don't care who's who thinks that they're a woman. I know what I like. You should like what you like, and that's where you stand and take your little you know your little cut cut of life. You don't get to restrict what everybody else do. Do they get to just have these grandeurs and these grand illusions? No, but you don't need to waste your life arguing with them about it either. Stop wasting your time. Be more accountable. 
you know, white, these white dudes, these white shooters, hold them more accountable. They're French, they're crazy, they were they were they were raised in these in these households that allow these these behaviors to, to pop up. They deserve to be uh, treated as a criminal, as what they did. They are they're shooters, they're murderers. They're not. They're not these these Manchurian candidates. These two. Well, maybe some of them might be, but again, a lot of this is choice by choice by design on their end as well. They know what's happening, like a, like a snitch. They know they they not be. They might be paid to do all this. They might be in a work. No, but they are true truly doing that by choice. So, people's choices. You got to be accountable of them. That's the moral of it. And no, men don't get to run everybody. No. Men don't get to run nothing but themselves. Take care of yourself as a man, and then maybe you can work with other people and y'all cooperate with each other. But you don't get to control what everybody else do, how people think and feel, because we are men. That's not how this shit rolls. I don't, because you don't get to run the next man. So I don't know what the fuck y'all even talking about. So we're gonna take another. We're gonna take a quick break. My first break of the day. We're gonna come back. Uh, we have some crazy news to talk about on the college football front. Conference align it to, to align, realign it. Conference realign it. 2.0 is officially upon us. Uh, we got people going across the country. It's weird. It's wacky. And uh, one or two conferences might not, well, might cease to exist. Maybe even three. All right, y'all. We'll get back to it in just a little bit. And uh, I hope you like this so far. <laughs> So the biggest news coming out of college football, of course, is the newest batch of uh, conference realignment. Now, uh, recently, uh, this one uh, this was was pretty surprising, and this one is probably going to have some uh, pretty pretty lasting effects. But recently, USC and UCLA have decided to leave the Pac-12 and head off to the Big Ten, uh, and it's set to take place in 2024. Now. There's going to be about 32 teams uh, between the SEC and the Big Ten alone. So we're seeing this rise of these super conferences. Many people have wondered this before. And I'm just going to tell you like it is. This is a watering down of college football. Um, We're taking away the regional elements that made this right. Uh, We're taking away the value of conferences in general by just bringing everybody together. And uh, it's uh, it's just a product now. Now, I'm pretty sure, of course, a lot of people will make the money argument and uh, say this is big money, you know, money in networks, you know, uh, network deals. This is a lot of what this is about. And teams wanting to get that extra, those extra ends. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of this has to do with NIL and being able to pay for all those. So I kind of get it. You know, it just it, it makes the uh, the college football landscape really uh, 
I don't know, like a wild west in terms of who, you know, the haves and the have-nots almost. So I, I, I get it. Um, I understand why it would go this way. Uh, but I also feel like uh, you can also be a winner. You don't necessarily need to hop on the Big Ten wave either. Uh, L.A. is a big enough market for it to have been independent and been popular. Or, you know, and I'm not saying UCLA, but USC even um, uh, more more notably. You know, um, it has its own brand. It's L.A. I mean, uh, for example, you know, just to look at, you know, that school and the alumni um, in terms of TV and, and, and movie, uh, you know, production and all that. That's what they do. You know, it's like, you know, it's it's very scary. It's very, you know, scary to see the lack of ambition with um, with the conference and um, at least the Pac-12 and, and some of these bigger teams. Because like, you, you would have thought that Pac-12, uh, you know, USC would have said, oh, we can just make our own network. The, the Pac-12 can't tell us no, you know, and they wouldn't have been able to. You know, if you would have pulled the Texas situation and all that and said, well, we'll have our own network, we'll do our thing, you know, that would have worked for you guys, you know. And But just going to the Big Ten, you know, to say that, yeah, we're playing. I mean, again, I, I get it. You don't – you'd rather lose to Michigan, I guess, You'd rather lose to Ohio State than to lose to, you know, Oregon and Utah. Let's be real here. It's it's going to happen. You know, you, you'd, rather, you'd rather have close games to Nebraska than Stanford. I totally get it. Yeah, you know, um, college football media has, gone, has done a great job of, you know, bashing and putting down anybody who's not really Alabama or, you know, really a general uh, member of the uh, the SEC. And, you know, unless you're Ohio State, maybe Michigan, you know, they'll give you some love if you're Michigan State, maybe. You know, if you're anybody else outside of that in the Big Ten, they don't like you either. So it's, it, you know, as much as we'll, you know, and again, I, I want to go deeper into conferences why and why they, you know, really didn't mean a whole lot, you know, uh, in this modern section to begin with, in this modern era to begin with, up until this point in particular. But let's be real here. You know, outside of a few handful of teams, it's it's we can't really say there's enough winning going on, uh, you know, from these campuses to say that one conference is better than another. Like, for example, the SEC, you have Bama, and I'll give you Georgia. And every now and again, you have LSU, and you might have Florida. But until, until South Carolina wins a national championship, you cannot tell me the SEC is some great conference. Until Mississippi State finally finishes season ranked number one or two with the championship, four or five conference titles in a row, then you could then you could tell me. You know, for example, I mean, if you want to talk about conference domination, I mean, the only time that you could really say that, the only sport that you could really say that the SEC truly is dominating would have to be baseball because every different year you've had about eight different years where you've had different winners from the SEC. You can't say that in college basketball. Nobody from Kentucky has won an SEC. Nobody from Kentucky is doing anything in basketball. Yeah, you, you've had, you have Auburn with good years here and there. You have Tennessee with, with good years here and there. But they lose like a Gonzaga will. Who's winning a lot of championships in basketball? Kansas, you have those guys. You'll have your Big East teams pop up. You know, you have your SEC team. They've made it to the to the big dances every now and again, but they're not winning the comp. They're not winning the championship every year. You know you're not. And you know, and you know they're not. They're not. Do- again, you know, a handful of teams are dominating in football. A couple of them just happen to be in the Big Ten. A couple of them just happen to be in the SEC. 
That doesn't mean that every, you know, the, the, the SEC or, you know, the ACC for that matter or the Pac-12 or just these these just garbage conferences and all this, you know, because you, you, they start arguing with you because the only real arguments that these, these other conferences have, and I'm talking about the Big Ten and the SEC now, would be these media rights deals, uh, of course, and they have a, maybe one or two champions that they could say that they've won in the past 10, 15 years. I'll give you that. And they have uh, for the Big Ten. They have Ohio State, only one team. Let's be real here. And for the and for the SEC, we mentioned a few teams that have won. So I'll give, I'll go on a, a limb and say, yeah, the SEC is is pretty good, you know. But you're not making a case for the Big Ten. You can't you can't convince me that the ACC is that much stronger when they only have one champion as well. Uh, you can't make the, a case for me when Texas and Oklahoma haven't won shit since the early 2000s. I'm not buying it. And then you have Baylor, who's never won shit. You have TCU, who hasn't won shit. You have Texas Tech. Uh, they're coming off a great recruiting class, mind you, but they haven't won shit in the conference. I, can, I don't even know if they won a conference title. You know, we can look at so many different... Look at Kansas, for example, okay? You can't tell me, oh, the Pac-12 is, is terrible, is weak, is so garbage, when you got to face Oklahoma State, who's liable to be sucky every other year, when you're going to go up against Baylor or Texas Tech. Come on now, get the fuck out of here. You're not gonna, you're not gonna tell me Kansas is so much better than all these different teams in the in the Pac-12. Uh, maybe Arizona, maybe Arizona State, uh, but come on, they're not better than Colorado. They're not better than Utah. Let's let's use our brains here. And as far you know, and they want to put all these different little dumbass arguments on it. Well, look at who's being drafted. If we look at the draft, uh, the Oregon Ducks just had a first round draft pick the past two years. What the fuck are you talking about on offense and defense? Now, just because Cal ain't always getting somebody drafted, Washington is. Arizona State's getting people in the draft. Are they not? Washington State people are being drafted. All these different schools are getting players drafted. You can get drafted from anywhere. Jeez, I mean, come on. There's a bunch of Hall of Famers that come from HBCU. So let's not make it about, oh, this school does this, this school, you know, and this conference is it's putting up all these, 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 uh, these, you know, these draftees out there. They're all getting players drafted. If you can play good enough, if you get enough exposure. So I'll give you the media rights deals. You know, I'll give you the modern champions. You know, I'll give you that. I'll give the concession to the SEC more notably. Uh, but you know this this is all you know just just and also lack of creativity on the Pac-12's part this, I mean it's not like the Pac-12 doesn't have any um, you know blame here I mean they could have brought in Texas they could have brought in some couple a couple Texas teams maybe on Boise State at the, t- the height of their you know their uh, BCS buster status maybe even TCU or somebody they could have some decent decent teams here uh, but they you know they had their own little highfalutin ways as well and now they got to bear the brunt of that you know, and maybe a couple schools might even leave us and really leave us in a situation. Uh, but they're looking to try to get a new TV deal. We'll see what we can do. Uh, again, I'm just going to, I just wanted to break down the skinny of what's going on and kind of my initial thoughts. I think UCLA and, and USC just went out like some pussies. Uh, UCLA ain't going to win in the Big Ten. They weren't winning in the Pac-10, the Pac-12. Neither was USC, you know. Um, again, it's just all about who you want to lose to as opposed to, you know, that's what it seems like to me. You know, other possible realignment. Um, we did uh, did mention this. Uh, well, there is some uh, more realignment going on. Uh, we had recently uh, the SEC adding Florida State in uh, North Carolina. Well, Florida State has been a team that's on some hard times recently, but 
Overall, they're a pretty decent program. 663 winning percentage, 565 wins, 28 ball wins, three national championships. As for USC, they're a pretty decent campus as well with 728 wins all time, nine conference titles, five of them coming in the ACC. Uh, they are kind of are have been an up, up and down team in the past few years. Recently, uh, they had a great quarterback in Sam Howe for a couple years. He fell off kind of, uh, but they, you know, he had them bring him to relevancy. I believe Mitch Mitch Trubisky came out of that that school as well, if I'm not mistaken. So they've had some up and some, you know, some uh, some decent years. Uh, they've brought some talent from that uh, that program. You've had Lawrence Taylor. Great NFL linebacker, Hall of Famer, if I'm not mistaken, come out of that school. Uh, so, again, the SEC is, is adding. Uh, the Big Ten is really focusing on Notre Dame right now. Uh, and then once Notre Dame decides what it wants to do, uh, it might give a uh, it might give an offer to one of three Pac-12 schools, including uh, Oregon, Washington, and or Stanford. I'm hearing Washington and Oregon. Uh, some cases are just saying Oregon or Washington. Uh, in, in a lot of those cases, whether it's either or, it's more so looking at Oregon, uh, just because of the you know the clout that is made through it winning. Uh, apparently, you know, if we're looking at because if we're looking at the dollars and cents of it all, um, you know, that's what a lot of people will go for and like. You know, in this day and age, not necessarily the substance behind it, but again, Washington would have a bigger media market, so that might be a little bit more attractive. But again, Washington don't win shit; it don't win nothing. So I don't know why we're. That's what I'm saying. I mean, for USC, like, you know, I don't even know why y'all even acting like y'all, you know, really made a move. You know, you got Paul Feinbaum talking about, yeah, you know, you know, they got out of that that trashy Pac-12 just to go to the Big Ten, and they're gonna get whooped there. Feinbaum, you know that. Get the fuck out of here. They're not. They're not. Again, they were getting out recruited by Oregon in L.A. That's that's was the that is why really L.A. schools had to get out of Dodge. That's really what it was. They weren't winning in the Pac-12 a conference because again, let's be real here. Again, we'll get more into what I think the Pac-12 can do a little bit later on the YouTube platform, hopefully. Um, you know, just so I can have a bigger uh, audience to get some of these thoughts out. But if you know, we're being honest here. You know, let's be real here. They weren't winning in the Pac-12. Okay. And they needed something to, to I guess, spruce up what they got going on. Because let's be real here. You know, I didn't hear anything about the Pac-12 being inferior, being one of the worst conferences where USC was continuously winning the motherfucker. Now it's weak when Oregon wins it. They go to the national championship, whether or not they win or not. And I will say this as an Oregon fan. I think one of the things that could have possibly saved this conference is is Oregon winning one or two national championships. Beating Auburn would have done a whole lot because that would have been an SEC team. Uh, beating Ohio State would have done a whole lot as well. So I could say that Oregon played its part by coming up short in a few different situations. I could say that, yes. And uh, Washington had a, had a chance as well. Uh, I believe it was 2018, something like that. They got stopped by Georgia. So we there have been a couple of chances for us to make it. Let's be real here. Uh, since, they've, since they've made the CFP, only two Pac-12 teams have made it. That's why USC is going. It should have been them and not Oregon. Let's be real here. Because again, this is this is this is public knowledge. This is this is this is the for real. This is how weak the the media is, and their detrimental part into all this. We didn't hear anything about this Pac-12 conference being bullshit when USC and Reggie Bush was running through everybody. 
Oregon wins four or five conference titles, eight conference titles. You know, you get Stanford winning something there. They go to a Rose Bowl. They get, uh, sorry, uh, I believe it was an orange ball at one point in time, beat up on an a, a ACC team in Virginia Tech. They get some things done. They do some positive things. They get some pro, they get some guys to the pros like Richard Sherman and, and you know, Andrew Luck. Uh, we could say the same thing for Washington State. A few different guys. I can't name, uh, name them off the top of my head. Cal has gotten guys into the pros. Uh, again, uh, earlier in the 2000s, they were competing with USC for a top spot in the Pac-10, as it was called. Again, we've had look at Utah in the past couple of years. They've won Pac-10, Pac-12 titles. They've also gotten high-profile draft picks. So now it's a problem. Oh, okay. Now the Pac-12 is not good. Now that there's more uh, what we call parity. Now that there's different teams winning. Now it's not good. Gotcha, media. That's all I needed to know. You know, this is this is all money grab. This is all bullshit. I, as an Oregon fan, I would like for them to stay in the Pac-12. I would like for them to salvage something at the very most of sticking into the eye of the Big 12, uh, Big 10. I'd rather than form up with the Big 12 and do something there, play against, play with some of these Texas schools, do it like that. Keep it more Western and fuck what SEC, USC did. The University of Sports Children, that's what they've always been known by. So they couldn't win the Pac-12, so they had to they had to try to destroy it. Them and UCLA, bitches, they can't win the conference. So let's say let's both of us leave, and we're the money, we're the AKA, we're the cash cows. Why I don't know, cause they don't win shit. They try, I'm telling you, the media tries so hard every year to put them in the top 25, say some good things about it, and hope to God that they can they can beat Oregon, hope to God that they can win out in that Pac-12 South. But they can't even do that. But then that's supposed to go down. They want to go to the Big Ten. Okay. Well, good luck. Good luck, guys. And like my grandma would say, don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. All right, y'all. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're breaking down some MLB action. I want to break down a little bit of uh, some Rob Manfred. Uh, he had a uh, article in uh, SI. I wanted to go over just kind of some of his thoughts on the future of the league, some new implementations, including a pitch clock, also a, uh, a robotic pitch i guess decipherer <laughs> no i'm just talking shit now uh but also a uh, also uh conference or sorry uh league uh, expansion as well and everything and then uh, uh i want to get to some scores and standings going into the weekend and uh before we wrap everything up here for today i did want to get into some nba updates as well just mostly talking about kd and Kyrie's trade drama all right y'all i will be right back some MLB news and uh, recently Rob Manfred was in Sports Illustrated just giving his thoughts on some changes he wants to bring into the league I'm just going to break down some of the bigger changes he wants to bring and just kind of discuss my thoughts on them. Uh, one of the things he uh, mentioned was an automatic strike zone and also a challenge system he would like to implement. 
Now all strikes and balls will be called by a computer and then relayed to the umpire. Now a challenge system will go along with that that will give the whole plate umpire the initial call and will give managers of both teams a chance to challenge it. Now both of these ideas have been tried out in the minors, uh, starting off in the AAA Pacific Coast League, but not everybody is sold on this. Now Terry Francona, uh, Guardians manager, has recently said that the automated system uh, was not ready. The automated strike zone could still be brought in by the next season. Uh, now, I don't know exactly. Well, he did kind of go into what he meant by that. And I, I personally feel like it's not necessary. I don't understand why uh, we're talking about this. Uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, the strike zone. And you know where these balls are placed and a lot of that is always going to be subjective it's not going to be the same for every coach so my question is what is going to be you know because I and I think for this to work the system to work is that it's going to have to be given some type of standard you know on what is a strike what is a ball and that has to be implemented into this automated system that just sounds convoluted to me so I, I I can understand it not being, you know, fully processed or fully vetted out by the time they would want to unroll it. I unravel it, particularly next season. I don't know what the, the big rush is on it. Now, again, uh, there's been a lot of complaints about referees getting shit wrong. But again, it's just human nature. And again, these are kind of judgment calls on the fly. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's all part of the game. I think when you take away that, when you take away that aspect from baseball, you make it more sterile and you, I don't know, it's, it's something that you take from it. And I just don't see that going officially well either because every, every ref or every umpire is going to have their, I guess what they will call the strike or their own style in which to call these things. And there will be probably some more leeway with more umpires than others. With, you know, this automated system, I, I mean, again, I guess it's going to have to be taught, you know, what a strike is, what, you know, what a ball is and how to count that. Now, how how is it how are we going to how are we going to make that, you know, work, you know, for everybody, you know, and I don't I, I can see the I can see the computer system having it wrong, too, to be honest. I mean, because to me, strike zones as much as they try to make it, you know, like this uniform box that you'd like for it to be, it's not, you know, there's things that, that are going to be high and inside that a, a human is going to call a strike and, you know, a computer might call a ball, you know, and I just, I just, I just feel like there's, you're not going to avoid the drama like you think you are, you know, and I, and I, and I kind of agree with Terry Francona on that part. Uh, as far as the challenge rule is concerned, I think it's it's necessary. Um, you know, particularly if we go into more a more automated system, um, it might add a little bit more time to the games, which I think you know a lot of fans or you know in baseball pundits in general that I've listened to have kind of spoken out against. I'm like, the game seems to be dragging as it is. Let's try to avoid that. I think these challenges might you know have an issue with that. But I still think it's, you know, it's, 
what it's doing is it's, it's kind of creating some parody, not letting it as you know, not letting it be as though you know this is the final say. There is some conjecture here. We can come talk about this. So there's there's a there's a there's a pro and a con there that I can easily see. So so far, you know, I feel like he's hit and miss. Here's the thing that I'm very interested in um, is the pitch clock. What they're talking about is setting a uh, set parameter here, 14 seconds. Of course, you have to let off a pitch. Uh, that's also uh, was included in the last CBA. I think this has been tried out on a minor league level as well. Um, I think this will be a way to speed things up. I don't think you need to take that long to cycle through pitches. I think a lot of that is just what you would call, you know, like uh, part of the, you know, the game, just to kind of, you know, the psyche of the game. Um, a lot of that we can, you know, move away from by just telling them, hey, get your shit set and throw your pitch so we can get through a lot of these at-bats. You know, because you got a lot of waiting around, panning and stretching and getting ready for a play or getting ready to pitch. And it could be too much. So I, I, I get that um, as well. So some of these hits, some of these, some of these moves are hit and miss, to say the least. I'm very interested into uh, the expansion of the league. Uh, of course, uh, he wants to start implementing that around 2024. Of course, we know that if things don't go right with the A's, they can always find themselves in Las Vegas. Uh, Portland has always been a, well, has been a recent uh, a recent discussion in expansion. Uh, pretty solid, uh, you know, decent-sized city. I would say decent enough sports market. They already sustain a, a baseball team. Sorry, a baseball team, a basketball team with the Blazers. Uh, they have a couple. Uh, I think believe they have a professional soccer team as well. So there's a couple things going on. They don't have a football team, which sucks. But they also have the University of Oregon, uh, and you know, or what would have been Pac-12 sports kind of that presence over there. It's not there no more. Well, after a certain point of time, it won't be there. Unfortunately, but they do have the University of Oregon. So I mean, it's it's some sports that it's some sports there. It's some sport. It's a sports town to say the least. You know, not 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 your average, not the not your Pittsburghs of the world. It's not Boston, of course, but you know, it's a city. Um, a couple cities that I've heard also Nashville. Uh, so things of that nature. Any uh, the only city that I've heard on the West Coast. Actually, there's two. Of course, we have Vegas and. Um, of course, Portland, but a lot of the cities are coming like in the Midwest, I believe, and in the South, like I said, Nashville, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, sp you know, spanning, expanding the, uh, you know, the the reach of the league. I've also heard of Latin America possible expansion, which would be interesting as well. I think would be dope uh, because, again, they, they play a very heavy part in, in their heavy role in this league, you know, and, of, of, you know, since they're, you know, since they started playing, you know, they've been some of the best players they've been managers you know they're hall of famers so i i, I don't have a problem with that um you know i think that'll be solid there and just uh before i let y'all go off the rob manfred train you know there's a lot that's been said about him you know good and bad he's a, he's very controversial to say the least uh you know he have a you know he's really somebody that the right wing hates for some reason but again with that being said uh, they hate all the sports owners except for maybe Major League Hockey's owner, and this is the right wing guys and you know the conservative guys that you hear. You know, uh, you know they hated his move that he did last year, moving to the All Star Game from Atlanta, all type of shit that they considered to be like liberal or leaning. And you know, I, you know, I guess you could be mad at that if that's what you ascribe to. I mean, it, you know, he's a corporate, he's part of a corporation, and you know, corporations they just they cater, you know, and they pander. So, I mean, again, if you want to hate him for pandering, well, hate 
you know, hate all the, the rest of the, the corporations that you buy shit from because they're all doing the same thing. Stop going to your grocery store because, you know, they they uh, cater to certain demographics as well. So, you know, or try to, you know, with advertising or things of that nature. So I wouldn't get all into that. Uh, like I said, he's a very, you know, controversial guy. I mean, outside of, you know, um, again, you know, just just the outside of baseball shit, like, you know, his response to this, uh, response to last year's All-Star game, and just a lot of the of the political shit that people want to put on him. I mean, he's like any other commissioner, you know? Like, nobody likes him like that. Everybody feels like they, you know, they, they do too much for the players, or they cop out, or, you know, again, like I mentioned, you know, they're, you know, accusing Adam Silver and, you know, Roger Goodell of being too woke and pandering to the, you know, all type of, you know, shit, but, you know, it's, these are athlete-driven leagues. They're paying these guys multi-millions of dollars. I don't, you know, I, I think people will just have a complaint about anything. You know, Robert Manfred does his job. He plays his role in the role of, in, you know, the baseball uh, continuum. <laughs> he is who he is. I'm not going to be wasting my time bashing him. I'll talk about some of the decisions he may make and all that. But on this platform, I'm not getting into all that, making this some type of political, uh, particularly when it's sports related. Unless there's a stance and all that, you know, that somebody is making and all that or, you know, whoever is making a team. We'll talk about that. But, you know, again, I'm not I'm not here to lead you left or right that's something that you should you know kind of be into by the time you come here that's kind of how i feel but um let's move forward with what else is going on in the baseball world of course we have the all-star game on the on the uh on the come up uh it's gonna be uh sometime later on this month we'll get to the date near everything uh, near the end of everything here uh but they uh, it's gonna be at exotic sorry <laughs> I was gonna say Zag Stadium. I don't know where the fuck that came from. Um, it's gonna be at Dodger Stadium in LA. Of course, star-studded event. Uh, we're gonna go through the finalists now. The voting has closed officially. A uh, little, I think, as we speak, as we're speaking, as I'm speaking. Uh, so pretty much the finalists that you that you hear in each of these positions, uh, these are pretty much gonna be well. The the winner, um, of course, is gonna be the starter. So the and the of course the second place you know, in that position is going to be the backup. So, again, these guys have already made it. Uh, we'll, we, we will end up figuring out a little bit later is who's going to be the starter. But, again, these are pretty much officially all the guys who are going to be there uh, based on their position. And as far as pitchers are concerned, disclaimer, uh, we will find out more about them as we go along because that's going to be a player uh, player vote. So, uh, but let's move into the American League. Uh, let's move into the American League finalists, starting with the catcher position. We have Alejandro Kirk of the Blue Jays, 320 average, 419 on base percentage, 519 slugging this year, 10 home runs. Uh, he's drawn 30 walks this year. So again, getting on base, helping out the, uh, getting on base, hitting the ball pretty well, helping out the Blue Jays. They are in the midst of a wild card uh, race big time right now with the Rays. Uh, so moving on, we have Jose Trevino here of the Yankees, 771 OPS, 271 average, decent offensive player. Uh, you know, again, in the mix, and he's on one of the best, uh, one of the best teams on the best rosters right now. So of course, he's probably going to get a lot of love. Let's move to first base where we have Vlad Guerrero Jr. 
Again, is this a, surpri a surprise? Uh, on pace to hit, hit 40 home runs again. Currently sitting around 19 or 20 around that area, almost 20. Uh, we had Ty France from the Mariners, 316 average, 10 home runs, 867 OPS. But he is dealing with a uh, he has been dealing with an elbow injury. Uh, it's kept him on the IL for about 10 days. That may or may not affect him. Um, I would I I voted for Vlad Guerrero though, but. You know, that's me. Uh, on the second base, we have Jose Altuve of the Astros. Seven-time All-Star, four-time starter. Uh, 150 plus, uh, 150 OPS plus, uh, 900 OPS. He's 13th in the league in that. So, again, potent offensive player at this age. Uh, again, part of a team right now who's, you know, on top of the division. Uh, pretty much, you know, they're on their way to the playoffs. So, again, Really good squad right now. Up next, we have Santiago Espinal of the Blue Jays. 268 average, five home runs for him. Uh, we're moving on to third base. Uh, we have Jose Ramirez of the, um, ooh, I think he plays for the, uh, you know what, let me double check that. Ah, yes, for the Guardians. Uh, he's currently leading the AL with 63 RBIs. Uh, he has a 297 average and a 178 OPS plus. Uh, we have Rafael Devers of the Red Sox here. Uh, my personal favorite player at the third place, uh, third base position, excuse me. Uh, he's third in overall batting average with a 328, 17 home runs. He's also second in overall in total hits with 99. At shortstop, we have Bo Bichet of the Blue Jays looking for his first start in his career. Nine home runs, 27 RBIs, also at 806 OPS in his last 39 games. So he's on the rise. Uh, he's definitely gotten hotter as the season has gone on he'll be uh well he's he will be going up against tim anderson in terms of the voting like i said both of these guys have made the squad it's just a determining fact it's just we're just determining now who's going to be the starter but for tim anderson he has a 340 average this year with five home runs 19 rbis and he also has 10 stole uh 10 steals uh stolen bases and a 159 ops plus Moving on to the outfield, we have Mike Trout of the Los of the Angels. And for now on, just a disclaimer, I'm just going to call him Los Angeles or Los Angeles because, I mean, to call them the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim is redundant or to call them the Los Angeles Angels is redundant because you're already calling them the Angels because that's what Los Angeles means, the Angels. So I'm not going to call them the Los Angeles Angels anymore. I'm just going to call them Los Angeles because... They're the Angels, okay? Anyway, so just so y'all know, disclaimer, you won't be here in Anaheim or none of that no more, L.A., nothing. So anyways, this is his ninth all-star selection for Los Angeles, uh, third third in the uh, third in the MLB for OPS, 1.014, 23 home runs, tied for second, 47 RBIs, and he has a third best slugging percentage in the MLB with a 632. We have uh, Aaron Judge, who's already been named a starter, uh, 64, because he was a top vote getter. Him and uh, for the a for the NL, it was it was uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Those were the, the highest vote getters, so they were already named starters. But Aaron Judge, like I said, starter, 64 runs scored, that is the most in MLB right now. Fourth in slugging percentage with a 6.25, and he's first. First in home runs with 29. Uh, we also got George Springer here of the Astros, uh, 258, 341, and we were looking at 828 hit and split. We have 15 home runs, 38 RBIs. Moving on to Aaron Judge's teammate here, Giancarlo Stanton, also has made it to the All-Star game, 19 home runs, 
52 RBIs. And then rounding out the outfield for the American League, we have Lourdes Goriel of the Blue Jays. 292 average, 349 on base percentage. He's having five home runs this year and also 34 runs batted in. Moving on to the DHs, we have Jordan Alvarez of the Astros. He leads the American League in slugging percentage with a 658 and also uh, he leads the American League in OPS with a 1.070. And finally, we got Shie Otani, uh, Shue Otani, six home runs. Oh, I'm always getting it wrong. My partner will let me know, though, every time I get it wrong. But that's good. I like it because I need to get this shit right. Shie, if I say anything wrong, forgive me. He'll let me know. Shue Otani, six home runs, 17 RBIs, 973 OPS in the month of June. He just keeps getting hotter. And, of course, he pitches as well pretty damn good. We're not talking about the about that this time around but anyways let's move on to the national league starting off with the catchers we have wilson contreras contreras there we go i know i said it right well i didn't say it right but i knew i was gonna get it right wilson contreras of the cubs started in uh, 2018 and also 2019 uh, he's having a career year in terms of his ops plus with a 154 uh, also leads catchers with home runs with 13. He's going up against Travis Dearnod of the Braves. 268 RB, 268 average for him. Excuse me, 11 home runs, 36 RBIs with a with a 822 OPS, up from 671 last season. So he's improving. He's looking to take that improvement and get himself into an all-star game. Paul Goldschmidt is up next for first base. Uh, he's representing the, the St. Louis Cardinals. He currently leads the MLB in batting average with a 342. Uh, he also leads an on-base percentage with a 424. He also leads in the, the NL, the National League, in sucking percentage with a 630 and on-base on and with OPS, excuse me, with a 1.04. So he leads the National League in slugging percentage and OPS. Moving on, we got Pete Alonzo of the Mets. 22 home runs, tied for first in the National League. He currently leads the MLB in RBIs with 69. Uh, moving on to second base, we have Ozzy Albias of the Braves. 244 average, eight home runs, 33 RBIs. He's gonna he's gonna go up against Chaz just Chisholm, a divisional rival from the Marlins. 14 home runs, 12 stolen bases, 139 OPS. But he is uh, actually both guys actually are uh, dealing with some injuries and are on the IL. Now, let's move to third base. We have Manny Machado of the Padres. Eighth in OPS, 940 there. Fourth in batting average with a 326. 12 home runs, 46 RBIs. Uh, he's facing off against Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals. 16 home runs, 54 RBIs, 83 RBIs from him. We also go to DH. We have Bryce Harper of the Phillies. He is out indefinitely with a fractured thumb, so I don't know about his status as an all-star game. He may end up being replaced. 984 OPS, fifth in the MLB. 15 home runs, 48 RBIs, and fifth in slugging percentage with a 5 99. And finally, we have Will William Contreras of the Braves here. Nine home runs, eight, sorry, nine home runs on the year for him, 899 OPS. Uh, like I said, the pitchers and the reserves will be, uh, reserves slash the close will be a player's choice. And the roster will, rosters will be announced July the 10th. Uh, so a couple days from now. And of course, the game is going to be held July the 19th at Dodger Stadium. 
So let's move on. Let's wrap this uh, segment up. Let's get close to wrapping this segment up. We're going to go over the scores and the standings from Thursday. Of course, we are getting underway with uh, with Friday's action. We're going to take a look at the standings going into the weekend as well. But let's take a look at the, the scores from Thursday. First things first, we have the Mariners beating the Blue Jays 8-3. to We have the uh, the Dodgers getting a win against the Cubs 5-3. to The Rockies, they get a win here against the D-backs 4-3. to The Tigers beat the Chicago White Sox, and the Chicago White Sox are just struggling. They're uh, they're all over the place. 2-1 to one was the final score. We had the Cardinals beating the Braves here 3-2 to two in a 11 innings, so it took a while, but St. Louis got it done. St. Louis moves to 45-40. and 40. The Braves are 49-35. and 35. For the Cardinals, Dylan Carson and Juan Yepes, as, as, well, as well as Albert Pujols, will get RBIs. And on the mound, Matthew Libertore will get the start, getting four innings at work in, Getting, giving up three hits but no earned runs. He also will get four strikes. Ryan Helsley was given a win here. Five and one in the year is his record. Uh, he gave up just a hit. Uh, he also had three strikeouts. He also didn't give up any runs. And Packy Knotton would get to save his first of the year. Moving on to the Braves center fielder, Michael Harris Jr. would get Michael Harris the second, excuse me, would get a solo home run. Matt Olson would bring an RBI in as well. And Spencer Strider would get the start on the mound. Six innings from him, just giving up two hits, two walks, 12 Ks, aka strikeouts. And Tyler Matzik. Course, uh, well, of course, will be straddled with the loss. His second of the year. No wins for him just yet. Three hits, two earned runs, which was charged to him. Uh, moving on, we have the Yankees getting it done against their rival Red Sox, 6-5. to five. Uh, They are sitting at 60 wins and 23 losses. The Red Sox are 45-38. and 38. Final score, of course, 6-5. to five. Yankees, uh, Josh, for, Yankee, for the Yankees, Josh Donaldson will hit a grand slam. Anthony Hicks and also Jose Trevino, all-star candidate there, will get an RBI. And Jared Cole, Garrett Cole, excuse me, will get the win here. Eight and two on the year, six innings of work, five hits, five earned runs, including two home runs, seven strikeouts. But of course, the Yankees were able to give him the run support that he needed. And by the way, yeah, they just hitting the ball pretty damn good. Uh, let's move on to the Red Sox. Rafael Devers will bring the teams, all the teams' offense, two home runs, five total RBIs on the mound. Josh Winkowski will take the loss. He is three and three on the year. Moving on, we have the Mets blowing out the Marlins 10 to zip. We have the Orioles getting the getting it done against the Angels 4 to 1. We have the Phillies getting a win here against the Nationals. We have a Pirates and Reds doubleheader with uh the Reds taking sorry, the Pirates taking game 1 4 to 2 and the Reds taking uh game 2 5 to 1. And let's move on. We have the Royals here. They take a L here against the Astros 5 to 2. The Astros are 54 and 28. The Royals are 30 and 51. For the Royals, Kyle Isbell at the center fielder spot and also Nicky Lopez would get RBIs. But on the mound, uh, Chris Bubick would take the L. One and six on the year, five innings of work, four hits, three earned runs. He also gave up six walks and he would get, he would get five strikeouts. But again, uh, three earned runs ain't going to get it done. Uh, let's move on to uh, what the Astros got done. Uh, the oh, sorry, Jose Altuve, Jose Altuve will get you two home runs. Jordan Alvarez will get you a solo home run. And on the mound, Justin Verlander uh, really shaking off the the age here. Eleven and three on the eleven and three so far on the year. Six innings of work in this game. Seven hits. He would just have one earned run and eight strikeouts. And wrapping up uh, the action from the night, uh, the the Padres will get a win over the Giants 
the final score, two to one. Uh, for the Giants, Brandon Crawford were bringing the only run uh, RBI here. Uh, and they were one in, one for 12 with runners in scoring position. They also left nine runners stranded on base. So they had opportunities, but uh, they weren't able to convert. Uh, on the mound, Logan Webb, uh, he would end up getting a start. Eight innings, six hits. He only gave up one, one earned run and two Ks. Uh, Harlan Garcia was given the L here, one and three on the year for him. And for the Padres, Jose Alfaro and also Manny Machado would get your RBIs. And on the mound, Joe Musgrove uh, would take the start. Seven innings for him. He gave up four walks, but would have six Ks. And Nabil Chris Smott was given the win. Five and one is his current record on the year. Now let's move on to the uh, to the standings here. We're going to start off in the National League. In the East, we have the Mets on top, 52 and 31. Five and five in the last ten. They are coming off back-to-back -back wins. Uh, they are followed three and a half games behind uh, by the Braves, forty-nine and thirty-five. They are seven and three in the last ten. The Phillies, not too bad. Uh, they are eight games back. Uh, eight games back. Four. Sorry, six and four in the last ten. Forty-four and thirty-nine. Round out the bottom of the NL East, we have the Marlins here at thirty-nine and forty-two, and we have the Nationals here at thirty and fifty-five. Twenty-three games back. 463 runs allowed the most in the in, the most in baseball they also have the worst run differential in baseball at one negative 130. Moving on to the Central, we have the Brewers here at 47 and 37, six and four in the last ten, but they are coming off of two uh, losses, uh, 19 and one against teams above 500. Uh, the Cardinals are 45 and 40, two and a half games back from the lead, four and six in the last ten. They are also struggling against teams that are above 500. They are just 19 and 25. Behind them, we have the Cubs at 34 and 49. The Pirates are 34 and 49 as well. They actually have the worst uh, run differential, actually at a negative 131. And finally, the bottom of the Central, we have the Reds here at 29 and 54, 17 and a half games back, three and seven in the last 10, 453 runs allowed. Again, just ugly, ugly all over the place. We have the the Dodgers here. They are on top of the NL West, uh, 53 and 29, eight and two in the last ten, four wins in a row, uh, plus 146 run differential. Behind them, uh, we have the we have sorry we have the Padres here, six games back, 48 and 36. We have the Giants here, 41 and 40, 11 games back, 18 and 19 versus teams above 500. So again, struggling. And that's that. They weren't struggling there last year. And at the bottom of the NL West, we have the Diamondbacks at 37 and 46. They coming off of back-to-back -back losses. And we have the Rockies here, 36 and 47, 17 and a half games back, five and five in the last ten. Let's move to the American League, starting off in the East, where we have the Yankees here at 60 and 23, 73 in the last ten back-to-back -back wins, 27 and 13 versus teams above 500. And they're just killing it at home. They're currently 34 and nine. And uh, they are they hit the most home runs in the la in last month in the month of June with 60 as a team of course. So again, they're hitting. Uh, they they're 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 doing all the things you need to do the right things you need to do to win. So they on top. It doesn't look that close right now. Uh, they have 427 runs scored the most in baseball. They also have the best run differential at 176. Moving on to the Rays, they are 45 and 37, 14 and a half games back, five and five in the last ten. They're coming off back-to-back -back wins, uh, but behind them, well, we have the Red Sox at 45 and 38, three and seven in the last ten, three losses in a row for them. 
We have the Blue Jays here at 49, 45 and 39, 3 and 7 in the last 10 as well. And at the bottom, we have the Orioles. Not too bad. They're, you know, of course, out of the race of the first place spot. But they're not too, they're not too far off from the rest of the pack. 40 and 44, uh, 20 and a half games back from the lead, though. 6 and 4 in the last 10, 5 wins in a row for them. Uh, we're going off to the Central. We have the Twins on top. 47 and 38, 5 and 5 in the last 10, 18 and 21. Uh, versus teams above 500, so they're struggling there. Uh, the Guardians, uh, they are 40 and 40, four and a half games back, three and seven in the last ten. Uh, but they have four straight L's, and they're struggling away from home, just going 20 of 23. Up next, we have the Chicago White Sox, 39 to 42, negative four run differential, 17 and 24 at home. It's just been a struggle. And again, this team was in the playoff mix a couple years ago and last season, if I'm not mistaken. Behind them, we have the Tigers at 35 and 47, the Royals at 30 and 40, sorry, 30 and 51, 15 games back, four and six in the last 10. And going on to the AL West, we have the, the Astros here on top, 54 and 28, nine and one in the last 10, 21 and 15 versus teams above 500. The Mariners are in second uh, second place at 500, 42 and 42, 13 games back, uh, eight and two in the last 10, five wins in a row, but they have struggled against the playoff bound teams, just 19 and 26 versus teams above 500. They've also struggled away from home, 21 and 22. Uh, the Rangers, they're still struggling, 37 and th uh, 37 and 43. They never really made it to 500. Uh, neither did the Angels. Uh, neither did Los Angeles. Uh, we take that back. Uh, 37 and 43 for the Rangers. Three and seven in the last ten. Four losses in a row. Los Angeles is 38 and 46. Four and six in the last ten. And of course, run at the bottom of the AL West. My A's. It's been sad. We're gonna stay in Oakland, maybe though. That's a good thing. 28 and 56. 27 games back. Three and seven in the last ten. 10 and 29 at home. Yeah, 266 runs scored. That is last in baseball. It is what it is. Let's take a look at the wild card real quick. In the American League, of course, the top three teams here, all from the AL East, the Rays, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays, all relatively with the same, uh, you know, record, 45 wins. It's going to be hard to determine who might sneak in there. I mean, we have uh, the, the Guardians there. Uh, they are about 40 wins. They're at 500. Uh, we have the Orioles who could possibly sneak and, you know, go on a run. They've been winning a few, you know, games in a row. They have, they, well, they have uh, periods where they win a few games in a row. So they're looking to be competitive. I don't know how that would, if that could push them uh, as far as anybody else. Uh, maybe you take a look at uh, the Cardinals. I mean, sorry, the Mariners. They're at 42 wins right now. Could go either way there. You know, you just don't know. Uh, but if, if the season were to end today, of course, the Yankees would win the division. And it looks like it would be a, a, a wild card matchup uh, between the Red Sox and the Rays. If we take a look at the uh, if we take a look at the National League right now, we have the Phillies, sorry, the Braves at 49-35. The Padres right behind them at 48-36. And, of course, the Phillies a few games back at 44 and 39. I think it's a little bit more cut and dry in the in the National League. I see the Braves holding on to that. I mean, they're still relatively in striking range to take the division. They only a couple three and a half games back there. I mean, you want I mean, so if if the Braves were to happen to 
pull off the NL East, you would you would just put the the Mets there as a wild card team, honestly. Um, at, after that, you have the Padres. Uh, they have a they have a they have a slight lead above the Phillies. Uh, we I mean again, the Phillies have been hot and cold, just like the Padres. Although the Padres have stayed consistent as of recently, so we'll have to see what goes on there. We have the Cardinals in the mix as well. Uh, the thing about the Cardinals is that they've been struggling against teams that are above 500. So I don't know uh, just how far they can go. They've also been struggling as of late going four and six in the last 10. So it's all about how they can maintain, um, you know, but they are in striking distri- the striking distance within the conference. So within the division. So again, you know, with the way the, the Braves are playing, I mean, the Brewers are playing, they're also struggling against teams above 500, but overall their record seems to be intact. I think if the Cardinals, you know, they end up snatching the North, sorry, the Central Division from them, then you got to maybe put the Brewers here as a wild card team as well. So, I mean, these divisional races are a little bit tight, so we have to see what happens there. Uh, but again, I think the Braves would hold on to their spot, and we'll just have to see what happens for the second place. All right, before I let y'all go, um, I did want to give my thoughts on, I was going to say this for a whole separate um, segment. But I just want to get this off my chest. Of course, KD and Kyrie are going through this this trading drama. Uh, they come to this point where, uh, they, for whatever reason, it's not working in Brooklyn. I don't know if they want to play with each other still or not. Uh, but it is it, it ain't working in Brooklyn. They seem to both want out. Uh, everybody seems to be leaning toward Kyrie going to the Lakers. KD is a little bit up in the air because of Rudy Gobert's trade. I hadn't I hadn't talked about that. Um, just yet. Apparently, they traded a whole bunch of draft picks for him. Um, I, I'm pretty sure a couple other players were involved. Uh, but apparently, you know, Rudy Gobert is a member of the Timberwolves. And again, there was a significant haul to get him. And of course, Brooklyn is looking for an even bigger haul to get KD. I don't even know why they would trade for Gobert for all that much of sh- for all that shit. I don't know why they would make a trade for Gobert. But uh, again, uh, both players are over 30, so it's like, wow. Okay, so uh, the market has set itself for Durant. That's what Brooklyn is feeling. Uh, so they haven't been able to make that play just yet. Nobody seems to be really interested in uh, giving up a whole lot of pieces for a 33 going on 34-year-old. I can I can understand that. As far as Kyrie is concerned, I mean, he brings a lot to the table. I mean, both of these guys bring a lot to the table defensively. I'm uh, sorry, offensively. I don't know if they're great leaders, and they always seem to be at their best in terms of you know their team success when they when they're uh, paired with another dominant player. For Kevin Durant, of course, he was with you know the Golden State Warriors. Of course, for Kevin Durant, I mean, sorry for uh, Kyrie, he was with LeBron. So again, both of these two guys really pair well with another uh, you know just but not just so much of a great player, but he has not just so much of an all-star player, but he has to be a, a real leader because neither, neither one of these guys are leaders or somebody that I would count on to lead my team anywhere. I'm just being honest with you. Um, you know, they seem to be too passive-aggressive and too much into the social media and too much of people talking about what they're doing, uh, whether or not they're playing basketball or not. I, don't, I think they, they care too much about what social media has to say, again, good or bad. Uh, to really give a fuck about leading the team. So whatever happens is whatever happens to these guys. I'm kind of done with all their drama. You know, it's like a mellow, it's melodramatic, and I'm done with it. You know, I don't really care for these two guys anymore. They used to be so great to me. I used to care, you know, about them. I used to, you know, really root for them, at least, you know, from a solo perspective. Uh, but just watching how these guys have just played all this out and just everything just 
you know, they don't want to be, and they haven't been honest about really how they feel. They, you know, they ask Kyrie how he feels. You want to be, you still want to be with New York. He last off, and I'm going to pass to the left. You a grown-ass man. Just answer the fucking question. Get it over with. If you don't want to play for Brooklyn, you don't want to play for Brooklyn. Uh, you did say that you want to stay in New York. So, you know, I mean, it, it, again, you made those statements, you know, just to only want to go back on them potentially. You know, you got to deal with that. You know, I, you know, I'm just watching it from afar. Um of course, they upgrade whatever team they go to. We know that this is true, um, you know, but, you know, they didn't just shut up and play basketball. You know, I wouldn't apply it to every situation or just every player, but for these two guys, just just hoop, you know, and, and I get it for KD. He, I think he's more of a hooper in terms of just, you know, what he's willing to do just in terms of just him playing basketball. If you're given the right situation, He's more than likely going to play. Kyrie will come up with something and say, look, I got to go here for this reason. He'll do this or that, and I can't be around. And he got a whole bunch of other shit going on with him. Uh, so, that, I mean, but again, with that being said, they're both, you know, offensive maestros. But I personally, I'm done with it. I'm, I don't care where they play. They probably not going to end up playing for one of the, you know, for any of the teams that I, any of the teams that I truly like. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really give a fuck, to be honest with y'all. Um, whatever happens is whatever happens. We, I'll talk about it. <laughs> um, you know, just because it's, it's the news and all that, I'll let y'all know where they end up going. Uh, but uh, I'm done with the drama, y'all. This is I'm just gonna keep it real with you, and I'm gonna wrap it up on that note. Uh, but anyways, if y'all looking to get in touch with me, I'm gonna leave my links available for you guys. Of course, I have a YouTube channel by the same name, Never Out of Bounds. Please be sure to check that out. I got some new content that I'm uh, working on uh, for that. Also, please be sure to follow me on my Instagram at ljamal791. Uh, I'll leave a link for that as well. And, uh, yeah, if anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. As far as what I got going on in terms of the podcast, of course, um, uh, the MLB All-Star Game is coming up, so I'll be giving uh, some more uh, news into that. Anything conference realignment associated with college football, of course, I'll be breaking that down. We are getting to a new, we are getting closer to a new NFL and college football season, so I'm gonna be getting some conference and team previews out, respectively, as we go along for that. And uh, of course, as as things goes on, as things goes on, and as things go on in the world and the and events transpire. I'll be sure to talk about them in the World of Street segment as well. So it's just uh, it's just every day. Take it day by day, y'all. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I'll let you guys later.